1: to Eurograps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. I mean where else could we start this episode with the absolute massive news and I'm I'm super super excited about this. The AEW are coming to the UK. Not only are they coming to the UK because we kind of expected that, didn't we? It's been on the cards for forever, really. Tony cards talked about it before. We knew it was going to happen eventually. But they're playing Wembley. For the first time in my entire life, I can say with earnest, without rolling my eyes, without people think I'm taking the mick or laughing at them, that I am off to Wembley. And I hope, I hope you are as well. I know quite a few people are. I've had a few DMs. And it'd be absolutely fantastic to meet some of you down there. Obviously, I... I know there's going to be 100,000 wrestling maniacs there, AEW freaks. So, you know, <laughs> how many people I'll be able to actually meet, I don't know. But if you're going down, please drop me a DM, because it'd be good to have a little bit of a meet-up down there. I'm already arranging a ton of things with a ton of different people. So, I mean, that that's the thing about this, isn't it? The amazing thing. I never leave the house. I don't want to meet people. I don't answer the phone. And one of those people that the phone goes off? And my wife will shout down from upstairs, who was that on the phone? And I'll just say, I have no idea. I chose not to answer it. It could be anyone. Someone could be dead and we wouldn't know because I, I refuse to speak to people. But this is, has somehow burned this sort of social desire sort of flame inside me um, that I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to speak to people and meet people. So thank you, Tony Khan. It was a pretty crazy night last Wednesday because I, I knew there was going to be an announcement and obviously we didn't know what it was. Um, but the way Tony Khan was talking about it, I think, you know, the way you learn to talk Meltzer and you learn to sort of understand how p- certain critics speak and what what they really mean. Um, Tony Khan talks about massive announcements all the time. He's a promoter. It's his, it's his job to, to hype up things that are going to happen. But there was just something about the way he was talking that made me think, oh, this is going to be a special one. This is going to be something that I don't want to... To, to miss out on it. And I was off work anyway, so I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning watching it. And when the announcement happened, I just instantly went on to booking a hotel. You know, there was absolutely no doubt for me that I was going to go. And I had that awful frustration of, you know, I had a hotel room in the Ibis, right on the Wembley complex. It's a 10 minute walk away from the arena, and it was 79 quid. And by the time I'd entered my credit card details, it was 250 quid. So I'm doing that thing when you book a hotel on Google and you know, it gives you the map and it gives you all the prices and I'm, I'm trying to find cheap ones and all. And I've ended up finding one, uh, a Premier Inn. that's an hour's walk away or a 10-minute Uber. Um, but as you probably worked out by now, me and big sporting events are like, you know, it's like me going to the gym. It just doesn't happen, does it? So I'm sort of... Wondering whether I have made the right choice, and whether they might it might be better to stay outside London and do a bit of a park and ride. Uh, but then I'm thinking, if I'm an hours walk away, if worse comes to worse, don't matter. I could just walk back to the hotel that evening. You know what I mean? It's not. It Would not be pleasant? It's not something that I want to do. But anyway, whatever. That that's to be sorted out nearer the time because I, I don't care about any of this because I'm I'm so excited uh, that this is happening and. I mean, it's the fact it's Wembley, isn't it? Wembley will see a hundred thousand people. A hundred thousand people. Now, I'm not got a business mind at all. I'm very much public sector. You know, I don't, I don't really have any sort of aptitude for making money. Um, I once uh, had COVID and had a really high fever. I bought ten pound worth of Bitcoin. That, that, that's the most investing I've ever done in my life. But the fact that it's 100,000 people, they're going to want to put something on, aren't they? You know, this can't be a dynamite taping. Because, I mean, if you'd, if you'd have asked me a few months ago, that's what I would have been expecting. You know, they'd maybe do the old 2 I'm sure there was... I, I can't remember where it came from, but there was a rumour, wasn't it, that basically the plans for the UK were a dynamite taping in... Um, the O2 Arena, and then a Rampage taping up in Manchester, and I thought great, you know, that's perfect for me, hopefully I could do both I could definitely do the Manchester one, being a Salford lad, but this just has completely blown out all expectations, I mean, the bold move would have been Craven Cottage which is, uh, Tony Khan owns a what's the football team oh my word, This this is how bad I am with football and things like that I shouldn't, is it Norwich? It's not Norwich, is it? What is it? It's no. no I just Norwich is Delia Smith, isn't it? Uh, it is um, Fulham, and there yeah, they're Craven Cottage, aren't they? So I think the expectation would have been there. You know, it seems to be the uh, the obvious place. What does Craven Cottage see? Yeah, twenty two thousand can get in Craven Cottage. Oh my God! It says here capacity twenty two thousand, but the record attendance is forty nine. Can you really get that many people on the floor? Or have they exp- is it smaller now? Because that record attendance is from uh, 1938. So the home of Fulham was 1896. It was originally a Royal Hunting Lodge. Anyway, who cares? We're not going to Craven Cottage. It doesn't matter. Um, we're going to Wembley. I think one of the things that has... Uh, it always makes me laugh about AEW discourse and obviously I don't get to talk about this very much because we're we, on we about European wrestling aren't we but one of the things that always makes me laugh is the concern that we have about AEW um, and it it's a very sort of fine line to tread isn't it because on the one hand business analysis and and, and, and thinking about the business we you know a capital T capital B is really important and that's you know, I, I, I love listening to Brandon Thurston and when, when the flagship do it and, you know, thinking about TV ratings and, and, and all that sort of thing and business metrics. But I think for me, the approach that I always look at things from is as a fan. And five hours away from me, there's one of the best wrestling companies in the world who have consistently done The best big shows. I mean in recent years they've put on some big shows. Like you know Forbidden Door and what have you. That people think are the best wrestling shows of all time. And the idea that I would log on. And pretend that I'm concerned. That it might fail. And that the son of a billionaire. Might take a bath. And have to do the late night walk to the cash machine. Because he doesn't draw a house. Who gives a monkey's. Who cares if it's a bad business decision? I mean, it probably isn't, is it, at the end of the day? that That's sort of the big point as well. <laughs> like, if you're... Like, this fake concern about AEW, it probably isn't a bad business decision. But I don't know. And I honestly, like I say, couldn't give a monkeys. If he wants to put a big... Because he's going to have to put big matches on. He's, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to turn up and put rubbish on. They're going to have to put some big matches. The running... Theory is Osprey Omega 2, right? Now Osprey Omega 1 It's not been around long enough for me to make this absolute, but I think that might be my favourite match of all time. It's certainly up there. When you tell when that's here that greatest matches of all time, Osprey Omega is what I think of. And I've seen Wembley, I'm thinking a hundred thousand people, Osprey's British. I'm thinking that's got to be the leading sort of thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm, see, I'm seeing some people thinking CM Punk. I think that that might be a little bit... It's not off the cards, is it? But I, if I'm a betting man, which I am sometimes, I'm not putting any money on that. But Osprey Omega 2, that seems very, very, very plausible. Um. So, yeah, we've got all this concern trolling, haven't we? And all these worries about... Oh, what, what if they only do 40,000? And I think it's such a very weird kind of way to look at business and, and sort of wrestling business, because surely you just want to sell as many tickets as you can. And if you go crazy, I mean, they, they do 20,000. You know, they did Craven Cottage. They'd sell that. I'm convinced they'd sell that out in the pre-sale. Because what you've got to remember is they're not just drawing from the UK. They're drawing from Europe. I mean, all our Irish friends on the website, you know, I'm seeing lots of Irish people on Twitter, you know, people who live in Germany, France, they they just got, you know, they just got tickets. And I think about it, uh, sorry, got a hotel. And I think about it the other way around as well. If it was in Hamburg or if it was in Paris or if it was in Barcelona or anywhere that's within a couple of hours flight, I'd be getting on a plane as well. You know, this is going to be drawing from all over Europe. So... Selling the twenty thousand would be easy. Selling a hundred thousand is going to be very hard. But you've got to find somewhere that could do kind of that middle ground. And I think you know, say they say. I mean, I don't know. What do you reckon? That that's the thing, isn't it? What's the line of a success? Like, if if you were to say it was worth doing Wembley, and you you you, you know you, that the number that you would think would be successful. I mean, what do you think? Forty thousand. Because say you do thirty thousand, that's only eight thousand more than Craven Cottage. Then again, that's another fifty percent, isn't it? Pretty much on top. Do you see what I mean? It's like when we get this. I don't understand how people are logging onto Twitter and saying, "Oh, it's a I I mean, there, there's there's the first thing I'm confused about why people are logging onto Twitter. But second of all, it it seems like a really smart thing to do to me because. Like I say, you'll smoke 20,000. 30,000 even seems low. I'm going to put a number on now and we can go back... Well, we could go back to this if I'm right. If I'm wrong, we'll forget I ever said it. But I'm thinking 70,000. I think 70,000 is probably where I'm going to put it. Um, I think a lot of the concern just comes from this sort of weird comparison to WWE, doesn't it? And this kind of fetishization of the... Of the Sort of the, the, the business side of things that, that, that people have because what WWE have got and they always have had and probably always will have is the fact that they're the business leaders you know I've, I've just finished watching the other day I've, I watched both nights of Wrestlemania and from a business point of view it did well in terms of numbers but from a creative point of view and from a future planning point of view, it was terrible, wasn't it? I mean, night one was excellent; I loved it. But then night two with the Cody Rhodes stuff, it, it was it was it was pants. There's, there's no reasoning for 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 Roman winning again, is there? From a from a, if you want to have like long term stars and long term consistency. Do you know? What? I wish I'd never watched it. I've started talking about it now, and I can feel myself my analysis of WWE. I could never. I mean. I could never do a WWE podcast. I mean, my analysis of it, and I just—it's just so detached from anything that wrestling is and should be, in my opinion. That if the only thing you've got is that they've been sold to UFC people for billions of dollars, if you take any sort of pride in that, you you have any? Oh yeah, I support the good brand because dana white or whoever it is at endeavor has just paid whatever billion pounds that to me is a completely alien point of view i mean i remember watching that main event that cody against roman and i thought the match was good actually i thought it was fine like i mean the obviously any analysis of it is completely ruined by the ending but i'm watching it i'm enjoying it like everybody else absolutely convinced that cody's going over you know, we had all the run-ins, we had all the stuff that you kinda you kinda get from sports entertainment, but I'm not necessarily against sports entertainment. If it's done well, I can be entertained by sports entertainment. And I'm watching it, I'm enjoying it. And Sola Sokoa does his throat punch. Cody takes the spear. One, two, three. Roman stood on the on the Titan Tron with his two belts aloft and Paul Heyman's there and the crowd are booing. You know, we don't like Roman Reigns. He's, he's a he's a cheat and he's a fraud and and all that business. And I'm watching it and in my head, I was so convinced that Cody was going over that I thought, wow, they're doing a dusty finish. I thought they're doing a dusty finish and there's been all this thing in the build-up, hasn't there, about the whole reason why Cody Rhodes went back was to do the thing that his dad did the great Dusty Rhodes, was never able to do. He was able to win every belt in the territories. He was able to win everything, have every big achievement. He was one of the greatest of all time. But one of the things that he was never able to do was headline WrestleMania and win the big one. And what a lovely tribute it would have been to have done a Dusty finish. And it would have been the only good Dusty finish in the history Of professional wrestling, and then Kevin Hart came on and did some VT, and it it finished, and I I just laughed, because that's what that company do. And the idea that we've got to constantly compare AEW to WWE when they behave like that is just bonkers. It's it's almost like you enjoy two different things, you know. It's almost like getting annoyed that the Super Mario Brothers movie isn't any good, or getting annoyed that um, the Transformers movies don't come across like Werner Herzog movies. It's just, it, it, that's in one camp, and everything, everything else that we like is in another camp. And you just think, oh, well, okay, well, what are we getting so worried about? And actually, from a business point of view, Meltzer came on Twitter, and said that Wembley costs four hundred thousand dollars. He said to book, and you know the, the pounds in the toilet. So we'll just we'll be really generous here and just say four hundred thousand pound, just for the for the sake of ease. Because later on, it's been all around Reddit today that somebody has emailed Live Nation, uh, who are sort of connect. I think they own Ticketmaster, or they're connected to Ticketmaster somehow, uh, and they got an email back saying that tickets are going to be thirty pounds to 500 pounds so if you're selling tickets for say 500 are going to be your ringside 30 are going to be your top you know you you're right up in the gods so your tickets are going to be about 50 pounds aren't they on average 50 to 70 pounds i would imagine maybe 100 i don't know but to cover 400 grand at those sorts of costs that's not unreasonable is it you know what i mean it's not It's. it doesn't seem like a, a crazy thing to do and like i say the fact that they're drawing from all of europe i think those 30 pound tickets are going to be really interesting because i don't know what my ticket situation is going to be i'm going to try and log on in the morning and just get the best tickets that i can basically um i'm prepared to ironically go all in on this one and just and, and have this as sort of a once in a lifetime experience but Say I can't get the tickets that I want, I'd still pay for the thirty pound ticket just to be there. I'll watch it on a big screen and be surrounded by a hundred thousand AEW. What's the word for AEW? Like there's a word, isn't there, that the anti W, uh, anti AEW people use? You know, like freakazoid or something. You know, the AEW marks or whatever. I'll just, I'll, 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 I like AEW marks. I think they're the best marks you can get. Um, so. I'm not worried about the business. If you you can't tell from this one, I'm just super excited about it. And now in my head, I'm just thinking about what matches we're possibly going to get. You know, and again, Osprey Omega 2. I'm trying not to think about that too much because I genuinely think I'd be disappointed if that isn't announced. Um, I I think that to, to be able to see that live would be absolutely fantastic. And obviously... It depends on New Japan and, and and that sort of thing because I know Osprey's contracted with all with New, with all Japan with New Japan, so it's it's going to be a little bit of a funny one. But I, 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 it seems reasonable, doesn't it? Um, I do think some people are over analyzing and overestimating how much of a draw Will Osprey actually is. i can't speak for Japan. I've watched the matches, but that's not my beat. But from watching him in Britain a lot, and I've been watching Will Ospreay since the Lucha Britannia days. Like I've I've i I know Will Ospreay intimately to in a in, in a well in a wrestling sense, you know what I mean. And he is a draw, but he's a draw in terms of putting 1800 in York Hall. And it would be really interesting to see. What it takes to draw a big crowd in this country with AEW, I think CM Punk is an obviously would be a massive draw, be a massive draw anywhere in the world. But I just for obvious reasons I can't see that happening. But what I don't want, and I think this would be detrimental to them, is if they have this weird thing where they want to push. They think the British want to see British stars. So I know he's not with them anymore, but say Anthony Ogogo was when he was there for a a while. And I know for a long, long time there was that worry that if they did come to um, Britain, that Anthony Ogogo would be, you know, pushed into a main event somehow. And actually, as a British wrestling fan, going to a show in Britain, I don't really care about that sort of thing. I don't want to see people draped in British flags and have this weird patriotism. If I'm going to see AEW, I want to see an AEW show. I want John Moxley on top. I want MJF on top. I want Britt Baker on top. You know, I don't want to see this weird kind of, like, you know, imagine like they announce the main event and they put Soraya in the main event because she's British. I don't think they'll do that. But it's that little concern there, isn't they, at the bottom? You know, that sort of makes you think, it starts kind of bubbling away a little bit that they're going to really push doing something for the British fans. I mean, the two names, the two British names we've got to see on there, I think, are Osprey and Zack Sabre Jr. And I think both of them are on the card or would be on the card by their own merits. You know, it wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that they're British. I think what the most intriguing thing, as I say, is this is kind of a test of how popular AEW is actually is in the uk because i know a lot of people um talk about how you know that they're they're on itv that's something that i'm seeing from a lot of american fans is that they're um you know that they're on itv which which is which is one of the major channels but obviously what they're missing that we don't get uh, sorry that we do get is that they're on itv4 on a two-day delay at kind of half past 11. And in a way, that's a good spot, isn't it? There's that traditional got-home-from-the-pub-on-a-Friday market, you know, and, and, and something like wrestling, I think is perfect for that, especially Dynamite being very action-packed and it being very action-focused. That was a really good place for it to be. But, I don't know, it, it, it seems... It seems strange, doesn't it, to think that, um, you know, they do... I mean, I'm looking here at BackBodyDrop.com, looking um Ian Hamilton post the ratings, which is excellent. I mean, they're doing like 150,000 viewers, you know. Reg, they do 100,000 plus regularly. You know, if they get below 100,000 this year, it's it's a blip. You know, there's been, uh, just before Christmas, 191,000 120,000 i mean this week's did 155,000 and they've increased by 50,000 this week um probably for, which again you know look at that big jump um april the 3rd doing 106,000 april the 10th 155 when they announced the Wembley show so it it's really interesting isn't it it's really really interesting uh to, i mean th- that the the fact that it's on a delay, uh, the fact that it's you know on a ch- ITV4, which is traditionally the home of like um, Real Housewives of wherever, is there's there's clearly a lot of interest in this, isn't it? Um, and but it, there's always that but ITV4, but two day tape delay. So yeah, it's doing great numbers, but in a weak position. So. To see what it would do, I just think is absolutely fascinating. And like I say, come hell or high water, I'm going to be there. Um, I I think this is a really, really exciting thing. And this is going to be something, for better or worse, that we're going to be talking about for a long time. Um, I just love people who come to Britain and do something bold. And I think that's why I will always respect the Brit rest legends, the authors of Pain. Because, yes, wrestling entertainment series never happened but we're a wrestling entertainment series podcast and we will always hold that promotion dear to our hearts. So, I think Tony should do the right thing and book the Brit Wrestling legends, authors of pain, in a prominent position. Not in some sort of scramble. Give them the semi-main. You know, they deserve it after what they've done for this scene. But yeah, that's AEW. Incredibly excited. and as um, If you go in, get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a... Um, a Eurograps Express room. Uh, we'll start chatting about it in there. Get in there. Um, tell me what your plans are. Tell me where you're staying, when you're getting down there. Um, at the minute, I might have been a bit silly because I've only booked a hotel room for the night of the show. And I'm thinking I might try and find somewhere else in London for maybe the Friday and the Saturday. Because it would be really cool if this becomes a bit of a WrestleMania weekend. I, I would be blown away if other promotions don't start booking shows that weekend, I haven't seen anything yet. Um, but it'd be fantastic if, if they could, and we could maybe do some sort of live episode, you know, get some people together in a whole you know, you, you could all come back to my hotel room. And we'll, we'll recall it. We'll uh, record that episode. All 800 of you. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think this is just a really exciting, and I'm excited to see what happens around it. Um, he, that's all going to be in Hamilton he made the brilliant joke and I wish I thought of this he said Gideon Grace spring break. and I I, I I that was such a great joke I should have thought of it myself and I hope something like that happens because it'd be absolutely brilliant um anyway let's get on to some wrestling we've got quite a lot of red pro to catch up on uh, obviously we had a big York hall show um that was aired just after um the last episode so we didn't get to that and I've got some interesting thoughts from that um and we'll talk about the live at london that happened just afterwards as well because red pro were are in a little bit of a shaky phase at the minute um that's 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 worth talking about uh, but before we do that i just want to very very quickly touch on a great match i saw in wxw So last episode, we talked about 16 carat and we're kind of at the fallout of that now. And they've just got some really exciting stuff booked. I was talking earlier on today about um, Mike DiVecchio against uh, Irie in Hamburg, which I think is going to be a great match. Um, But something that stood out to me on the recent show on the Wheel of Wrestling 46 is that Axel Tischer and Peter Tiani are doing a best of five series. And I'm so, so into both of these wrestlers at the minute. I think Peter Tiani is getting a lot of roses thrown at him at the minute. And I I think they're mostly warranted. I'm sort of on the fence a little bit about going all in on him. Because I do think that there's... Do you know, we've said this before, haven't we, about the Luke Jacobs thing. About how, okay, it's time for you to do something now. To do something really impressive. And I think Peter Tiani is definitely at that point. You know, it's time for him to really have some great matches. He always has very good matches and very exciting matches. And he's he's got a lot of star power, a lot of charisma. He's works great, but we're ready for him to take that next level now. Um. So he's, he's one that I'm definitely keeping an eye on because they're the kind of wrestlers that I love. You know, you, especially on the European scene. You know, we're waiting for those big breakout performances and, and, and Peter Tian is, is... I'm convinced it's around the corner. Axel Tissue is another one who in recent weeks and recent months, has really started to become someone I get excited to watch. And he's always been great, Axel Tischer. He's always been somebody, you know, you never skip him. If he's on a show that you're watching, you might skip a few bits and pieces, but you're never going to skip Axel Tischer because he's one of those wrestlers with a really high floor. You know you're going to get a three and a half star match out of him, no matter who he's against. He very, very rarely drops the ball. He's a professional, a pro's pro. In a lot of ways. and There's always something you can sink your teeth into. But there's something about the heel work. That he's been doing lately. That I've been absolutely enamoured with. And I I tried to articulate it. On the the 16 carat episode. We did a couple of weeks ago. I have not quite been able to do it. But there was a comment in this match. Because like I say. It's the first match of this best of five series. And the commentator said something about Axel Tischer. And he said. Do you know Axel Tischer? He lacks class. And I thought, yeah, that's what I like about him. That's why he's such a good heel. Not because he's overtly cheating. Not because he's doing dastardly evil sort of maniacal laughs every two seconds. Because he's just not very classy. And he's a bit of a rogue. And he's an annoying little weasel who just has an annoying smirk on his face. Who's really arrogant. And that Is the perfect heel to me. Like that just picking up on little personality traits that when you meet people in life who have them just wind you up and you don't want to see them succeed. And that to me is heat. That gets heat. And I think Arsenal Tisha has has got this down to an absolute T. I think a lot of his his facials, you know, the ways he'll he'll be smug. And the way he'll look disappointed with himself and angry with himself when his arrogance doesn't quite, you know, his actions don't quite meet his arrogance, I should say. I I, I think his work at the minute is absolutely fantastic. And as a first match in a best of five, I thought this one was great. You know, it, it was really pushed as being 50-50. There was lots of back and forth. They positioned it for the longer story. It wasn't just a match, you could tell it was the first match in a best of five. And there was scrapping in this. You know, it wasn't a case of somebody was able to just do a load of their moves and then another person did a load of their moves. Everything had to be fought for and and scratched for. Um, And that's Tisha, isn't it, in a nutshell. Headlocks look great. German suplexes look great. So many moves that just become throwaways with other wrestlers. It just gives it that little bit more energy. And the energy in this match never stopped as well. You know, it was bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. You know, there was a great kick-out. There was a German and a knee uh, to Tiani, and Tiani's got that brilliant babyface resilience, and the kick-out, one of those kick-outs that just has that noise after it. You know, almost that? The the referees count into three, and there's a vacuum in the room, but then the vacuum is released, and the crowd stand up with it and get, you know, WXW always get great crowds anyway, and and, and they were able to just have the meeting out the palm of the hands. Um it, it was just, it was just brilliant. It was, it was a really great match. And again, I've said, sometimes I can sort of flip back and forth on WXW and I go through stages where I'll, I won't watch them for a couple of months, you know, and I, 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 I think at the minute that's not going to happen because I'm watching a best out of five series. I'm watching every match they do, um, in this series. I, I, I just, I think they've been absolutely fantastic. So if you're on, uh, WXW, if you subscribe to their YouTube, um, It's on there. It's We Love Wrestling 46. Um, What you need to do, and it doesn't make this very clear, it took me embarrassingly about three months to work this out. I was like Googling the shows and looking through video links to find what I wanted to watch. But there's a playlist now of all the English shows from the start of the year. So you can just get yourself caught up really easily. It's great background viewing a lot of the time. But then every now and then a match will come out that's an absolute banger. Anyway, we can't let A Red Pro York Hall show go by without talking about it. So let's get down to that London and talk about the Red Pro Rumble. Obviously, the big thing to talk about on this show is the Rumble itself. Um, But the undercard was really good. Um, There was lots of really interesting stuff on it. Starting off with Akira versus Dan Maloney. Now, this was a bit gutting, to be honest with you. Because if you remember what Dan Maloney's been doing recently, he's having this series of matches set up for him by Will Ospreay um, to sort of test himself. And if he won all these matches, then he'd get a match against Osprey at York Hall. And then Osprey gets injured. So we end up with Akira versus Dan Maloney. Which, you know, Akira's no slouch. We're big fans of Akira on this show. Uh, I think he's a great wrestler. But he's not Will Ospreay, is he? And I don't think that's a criticism. I don't think he would even take it as a criticism. Because how many wrestlers are Will Ospreay? Um, But Maloney just looks so good. And I I think this little storyline has really been the making of him. Because I was starting to really get a bit shaky with Dan Maloney. He's a wrestler I've always liked. Um, He's got a... The attitude that I like, you know, he's a bruiser. He comes out, he fights and he scraps. But there was something about Maloney in recent times that it just felt like he was a bit directionless. You know, well, literally in some cases. Do you remember all that bollocks with him messing about with Luke Jacobs and going down to Cruiserweight and all that time we spent wondering what they were doing there? But this has just given him a really simple storyline to sink his teeth into. And it made sense as well. You know, he walked away from WWE NXT UK. He's been a little bit lost since then. And Ospreay's saying, look, the old Maloney was a killer, was, was ruthless, was but focused and intelligent and driven. Now you're just flipping between meaningless feuds, getting angry at things that you don't need to get angry about. Focus yourself. And gave him this, this challenge to focus himself on. And we saw him develop into this smart wrestler and babe, become babyface as well, in a brilliant way. You know, it wasn't suddenly him walking out high-fiving kids and, and and saying, oh, I really like your local sports team or any of that rubbish. It was seeing effort and grift and someone try to better themselves, both as an athlete and as a person in front of us. And that's, that's babyface 101 to me. We talked about Tisha and the great heel stuff. That's great babyface work. And he looked great here as well, physically. I'm not talking about the way he moves, obviously he did, but he's got them, like, I don't know what muscles they are Armpit muscles, you know, when these bodybuilders lift their arms up and they've got, like, muscles that stick out from the side of them, right? What the hell. Like, I, I don't even know what muscle that is. Like, I, like do you know like If you're a bodybuilder and you, do, you can do that thing where they, like, do the pecs, like, up and down, like, where you, you get muscles that normal people don't even have. I just, it's like he's, he's jacked. He looks absolutely terrifying. Um, I'm a big, big fan of the big match opener. You know, not have, I think openers have either got to be balls to the wall action or you've got to have something really interesting to sink your teeth into. And, and that's what they did. Um, straight away from the start of this, there was big Germans, big, huge moves from Malone. He was, go, he was, had that brutality down to a T that ruthlessness down to a T that relentless work that he does so brilliantly was on display and Akira, we talked about this in the uh, 16 carat review, but Akira has just become so good at slowing the pace down and to use a cliche, being a ring general, you know, being able to, to work a story and to, and to control action in a way that makes things ultimately more satisfying. And he was fantastic at that here. Um, Little moments in this that I just absolutely adored. You know, Dan Maloney give Akira. He, he did the snapmare and pinned, or attempted to pin Akira, whilst looking Osprey dead in the eye. And obviously it was a two kick out, but the message was clear, wasn't it? That you know this this person's beneath me. I'm coming for you. You know, just that focus and that drive that Maloney can express so well. And again, loads of little moments in this where. Akira go up to the top rope, he'd do a drop kick to the back of Maloney's head but Maloney would then use that momentum to carry him to the ropes and then hit a spear at the back and it, I, I think that's what I like about Maloney and obviously I don't know where ideas like that come from but it seems to happen a lot in Maloney's matches so I'm giving him the credit you know just just little interesting ways of thinking about things and keeping you as a viewer on your feet you never quite know what's going to happen next with him and I, 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 Maloney is, is again saying about Tisha before that he's a match you're never going to skip no matter who he's against and Maloney's just got that same thing for me um, he was great um, there was a brilliant moment where Akira spat in his face and Maloney just went sick on him Just and I missed dominance you know I, I, you don't get that a lot in Red Pro where someone is just dominant and you know Akira wasn't squashed here by any stretch of the imagination but it was Maloney's match and he won this, and I'm sure you've seen on Twitter by now that at the end, Osprey gave him the United Empire um, armband that they all wear, and now Malone is in the United Empire. So it was kind of like a, a coronation, I suppose. It was a, it was a. You pass the test, you're in the club, and in a way, I think that's better than him losing to. I don't think he would have beaten Osprey, or maybe he would. You never know. Osprey will probably take the pin to. He probably do the job for me. But I think it's better that he's beaten Akira and brought been brought into the United Empire than Osprey beating him and being brought into the United Empire. I just think from an opt- optics and a, a momentum point of view, it's better. He's going into the faction with just a little bit more juice, you know. Hey, I wonder if this means he'll get some New Japan bookings. That'd be really interesting. I don't know if they're going to do it as purely him being over here i don't know um it'd be interesting to see how he fits into a new japan i assume they'd use him as a cruiserweight uh, initially as a junior um, because he's jack but he's not huge is he's kind of at that in between stage and when you get into those sorts of companies um so we'd have to see um but yeah i liked it and what do you know what else i really liked about this as well is a little bit of tension at the end with akira because he took off akira's armband. Osprey, and he was kind of patting Akira on the back and he was like, yeah, never mind, mate, never mind and then gave it he was just a look in Akira's face and I like that in factions, and I, I think that was, do you know, when I started watching Japanese wrestling, that was, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago or whatever it was now but that was one of the things that I started to appreciate first, is the way factions work you know, cause I obviously being a WWF kid, I was used to like, you know, the nation of domination or whatever, you know, and it was like, we all sh- share the same outlook on life. and you know, there's no, we're all united and, you know, there's a leader and we followed and all that. Whereas actually the way it works in, in places like New Japan is just a lot more realistic, isn't it? It's that you know, we kind of train together with friends, we get on, we, we need, we're going to need tag team partners. So we work together in that respect. Um, but there's sometimes tension between them. And I think if they're, they're opening up to that, I think that, that's quite interesting. So yeah, really good match. I would 100% recommend watching Akira against Dan baloney But are you surprised by that? You know what I mean? Just look at the names. Um, next up, we had Sky Smithson against Danny Luna. Um, do you know what was interesting about this, actually? Before I start talking about the match, Andy Quilden made a joke on on the commentary about the security And I'm seeing so many stories, and and Grapple were talking about this as well when they reviewed the show, about how bad the security is at York Hall. Um, That you get frisked down, that it takes you forever to get into the venue. Now, I might be exposing myself here slightly, but I've I've never actually been to York Hall. And it, it feels weird to say that, because I do a British and European wrestling podcast for the last year and a bit. I've been reviewing RevPro for about five or six years now for Voices of Wrestling. I I go to as many of the shows as I can, and I've never considered going to York Hall because I've always heard what the security are like. Because I, I think I've said before that I've got spina bifida and I'm disabled and I have to carry medical equipment with me. And it's not... If you meet me at a show, I'm walking around, you'd never know. You know, you'd, you'd never you'd never guess, I don't think. I walk a bit funny. But apart from that, you'd never know. But I've had it before, like going into nightclubs and stuff in my uni days. And you'd get patted down by a bouncer and they'd find the equipment and you'd have to have watched this. And you'd, The amount of times I've been led into a back room, like being gripped by bouncers and pushed in somewhere because they assume I've got drugs on me or something like that and the the idea of going through that i just i just don't want to put myself in that position and by all accounts it sounds like that would happen at york hall
0: in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a Griffey junior rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast
1: And it's, in a way, I'm in sort of two minds. Because Andy's made a few comments about it on commentary. They've been a bit tongue-in-cheek and been a bit joking. But I'm hoping what that means is, is that he's... I'm not offended by the fact he's joking about it, by the way. I'm not saying that. But what I'm hoping is, is that there's a little bit about him that has thought, okay, well, maybe this needs to change. Because I know they're in a funny position because you kind of have to use York call don't you? You know, Apparently in London, obviously I, I'm not on the London scene, but it's like in Manchester. If you, if you want to do 2,000 people, you've probably got the Ritz or the Victoria Warehouse. It's going to, or maybe bowlers. You know, those kind of venues are few and far between. So I don't know if he's kind of stuck in York Hall and he's got to use it. But either way, it sounds like the security need sorting out. Because it was an absolute miserable experience. Um, and people talk about the bar as well. that You basically just can't get a drink. Um, I, mean, that, that's, I think the security thing is more important. But also for your enjoyment as a fan. Can't even get a drink. It would be a bit... You know, like, for example, for part of my medical equipment, I have to have water with me. Some of it is activated by water. So if they take my water off me, and then I've got a queue for an hour at a bar to get another bottle of water and miss a match, you know what I mean? Just Again, I'm, I'm not talking from first-hand experience here. This is just through talking to people and obviously knowing a lot of people who go to those shows. I just think, well, I, mean, I feel awkward talking about this. I don't know if you can tell, but I I, I, I don't want people to think I'm going on this big soapbox and I'm, I'm doing a bit of a woe is me, but I, I think it's just something that needs sorting out because it's not... For me personally, it's not nice to feel like I'm missing out on something because of a disability. And for everybody else to feel violated in some ways, like really aggressively like it's just not necessary for a wrestling crowd from the sounds of things. Um, so, yeah. And they put on it, and Benno sorry, didn't he? They put on Twitter about the, uh, the like a little video from the security company at the Work York Hall and they're all smiles going, hey, look at the great time we had at the wrestling, and Beno was like, everybody's miserable there because of you. So, you know, that that is what it is. Um, women's match, uh, we had Sky Smiths against Danny Luna. Two wrestlers who I think are great. Uh, I I think the women's division has had a lot of problems recently, and we've said before, it's not always Andy Quilden's fault. They've had a lot of difficulties with um you know, injuries and, and that sort of thing. Alex Windsor being off again was a huge, huge disappointment. Um but I think Danny Luna's really taken the opportunity. I think she's really gripped it with both hands and gone from a wrestler who when I initially started watching her, I wasn't overly impressed with. I thought she was okay. I thought she was somebody who when she was put in the position of being Southside's women's champion, which when we've not got Alex Windsor around, is the champion. Let's be honest; that's how it's being presented. I thought that she was a little bit out of the depth, but as the years gone on and the months have gone on, the matches have happened. I think she's been great, and Sky Smithson's just utterly terrifying. You know, the, and she, she was always great in Sky Smithson, but a little bit flat, I suppose, when it came to um, kind of charisma. But the difference now, and looking at this match, and when they're doing the introductions, and she's on her knee, and she's flexing, and I, I think she's a star. I think she was great. Um, And there was lots and lots in this match to really like, and not not just the intro. Um, It just started off a little bit slow, Um, you know, but Smithson was doing things like, she was on the corner for a rope break, and then when Danny Luna moved away, she boot her in the face. You know, and it was big bombs, Luna was really smashing the big bombs for a lot of this match and I almost want to recommend it, I do and I'm sat on the fence here but there was just a couple of bits in this that were a bit too sloppy like there was an apron spot that was a little bit weird, they sort of did a quarter to the apron, but there was a load of contenders around the apron who all sort of fell over as if they'd done a dive Um I don't know. I think. Do you know what it was, actually? No, I can't recommend this match because there was a bit in this where Sky Smitson ripped off Danny Luna's knee brace and went to hit her in the face with it. She missed, but she went to hit her in the face with it in full view of the referee. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? She'd just get disqualified. It, I don't know why that decision was made. And I mean, I'm not a fan of. Not a fan of belt spots. I'm, I can, I think, by extension, say I'm not a fan of knee brace spots. You know, ripping the knee brace off was a cool moment, but when she tried to hit her with it, I don't know. It just, yeah, so it's a bit of a shame, really. But Sky Spits have won. I think she'll be a really good champion. The issue you've got now is what are they going to do next? Because obviously, you're not going to put Danny Luna straight back in the programme. I mean, I don't know how far away Alex Windsor is from coming back. She's going to be the obvious contender. But I, I think you just got to judge on, on what you've got at the minute. And I think Sky Smithson's as good a champion as any. Next up, we had Leo Rush against Robbie X. And this was a surprise. And the crowd came unglued for this one. It was an unannounced match. And great. You know, what a, what a brilliant thing to do. Um, to keep this one as a bit of a secret. Um Little bit funny about the Robbie X story at the time, if you remember, because Leo Rush beat Robbie X after he'd won the Super J Cup. So then he was having this title shot, but then being beaten by Leo Rush just before it. And I thought, "Mm, I don't really like that. You know, (laughs) I'm not, I don't think that works. And I don't think there's any wrestling where that sort of thing has ever really worked. But to be fair, if you can get away with it with anyone, you could get away with it with Robbie X, you know, because he's Robbie X. And sort of the deal was is that Leo Rush would be able to come back for a for a title shot. And it was this was great. You know, the the first bit. Do you know sometimes when you get flippy wrestlers, and I'm not a Cornet, I love flippy wrestlers. I love just watching athleticism and amazing flips in front of me. But sometimes it can be a little bit choreographed. Because it is choreographed, isn't it? They've had a backstage conversation and decided what they're going to do. But what these two were able to do, because they're such high-level workers, is they were able to really put across the fact that it was a struggle. You know, it felt like directions were changed at any second. And Robbie X is really great at selling surprise and shock and things changing. It's the way he moves his head, Robbie X. It's not the flips that he does necessarily that make him great. It's the way he kicks out of things. It's the way he, he changes directions suddenly. All these little things that he does differently to any other wrestler. I I, I think it, he was really really great here. Um, and again, Robbie X, you can always just send him out and do cool stuff like that. You know, it's a really good match. I love the pace. Um, he gave the impression of being being on the edge all the time, and I love the concepts of this rivalry. You know, th- this idea that we have to have these massive stories in these. I love hatred in wrestling. We should have hatred. But every now and then we just want these stories where two guys are kind of linked and constantly trying to prove who's better than the other. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in in an overly dramatic way. That can sometimes be it. And when you're Robbie X and Leo Rush, that's the story that you're going to tell. Because you don't want either of them to start cheating and, and get annoyed about that. You want it to be a little bit more real than that. And they were able to get that across really well here because at the end, you know, Robbie X was doing the one more because, you know, they're one on one now and they need a settler and they need a rubber. And I, I think that would be really interesting to do that again. Um, just, it'd be a really great series of matches. Next up, we have Michael Oku against Zach Sabre Jr. I, I, uh, what do I say about this match? Oku needs something to sink his teeth into. I think I'm past Oku now being the guy that wrestles the big match. And don't get me wrong, when you need him to do that, you know, again, Suzuki is the cliche one, isn't it? He can definitely do it, and he's great at it, and there aren't many better choices for Red Pro uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. But there's just something now about the Michael Oku story that are kind of getting a little bit plodding. You know, the idea that he's coming out and the commentary are like, oh, Oku's not 100%. And he'd think, oh, okay, we're doing this, are we? But then again, you've got Zack Sabre Jr. And I love him, you know, the arrogance. Um, it was great that Oku wrestled with the hope spots. Um, and Oku really came with the brutality in this. And, and that's not that something that you often see from Michael Oku. That he, he gets very, very brutal. And I think Zack Sabre Jr. is selling. I've talked before about the way he crumples to the ground. He's absolutely fantastic. And you could see that all the way through this match. And it was great. The problem with Oku... And this was absolutely apparent during this match... Is that he can force the epic sometimes. I think the epic feel of matches... Is something you kind of have to plan for. But what you need is everybody on board... You know, you need to take the crowd and the audience with you, and that's hard to do. And he has often done it, but sometimes he can force it a little bit. You know, with the big comeback feel and the I'm over, I'm going to overcome the great challenge in front of me. Um, and it, it, it was tricky, especially in this match because it was very long. It was 25 minutes long, um, and I, I don't think it warranted. Being that long, to be honest with you, I think they could have told this story in fifteen minutes, uh, and the extra ten minutes were just a little bit superfluous. Um, it was interesting in this actually that Oku wrestled smart and he outsmarted Zack Sabre Jr. quite a lot. And actually, by the end, I was really into it. Um, and there was lots of moments in this towards the end where it could have been anyone's. You know, Oku really could have won at any second, and I liked that. The expectation was obviously that Zack Sabre Jr. would win, but there was always that believability that. Oku could pull it off and and that's something that Oku does really well I just wasn't utterly convinced all the way through Um, I mean unrivaled effort you know what I mean, like Oku puts himself on the line and you can't dispute that Meltzer gave it four and a quarter I noticed in the newsletter this week not sure I would have got I'd I'd go that high it was a great angry promo at the end from Zack Sabre Jr though, definitely watch that lots of C-bombs um, you know, I, you, you, you know, basically calling Oku out. And I, I like that what Red Pro do with Oku's character is that sometimes he's he's very blue eye and very chipper. And there are lots of people, and Connor Mills was great at this, uh, calling him out on it, basically. And Eddie Dennis did that a little bit, didn't he, in his story with him. You know, he's just like, who do you think you are? Going around saying that you're going to like, you know, Britrest needs me. I'm back for British wrestling because it needs people like me, actual stars like me. And you're walking around like you're the king of the castle and all. But there was quite a few more C-words in there, um, which I will let you discover yourself. Not that I'm against the C-word, by the way. I should point out, I just keep forgetting to go back into iTunes and tick that there's explicit language in the podcast. So for now, we're family friendly. Okay. Might end up ranting now so prepare yourself I've my dog's in the other room so I'll get away with it we had great old kind against Ricky Knight Jr I think Ricky Knight Jr is pretty much done to me now I think I'm out I think I'm selling my stock and that's not a criticism of his talent that's not an implication of how good or bad I think he is I just, I think they've dropped the ball with him. I really do. I'm wondering what the plan was all along now, because obviously the reason why we've got Okan against Ricky Knight Jr. here is because Ricky Knight Jr. was injured, so his uncle Zach Knight defended the title against Okan for him and lost. But this match, if you're thinking this is going to be sort of that, you know, settler. That we're going to get Ricky Knight Jr. back. And we're going to get the championship match. That we should have had. And it's going to be the time to find out. Who's really the champion. If you go into this match. Thinking that. You're going to be mistaken. Because this match. Stank. This match. Was awful. This match. Is one of the worst. Rev Pro matches of the year. And I was. Angry. Watching this match. And I don't often say that. In a match. That features Gideon Grey. Because I love Gideon Grey. But a spade to spade. This is. Your belt. This is your championship. This is the thing. That you're putting at the top of your promotion. And you're starting your matches. By having. The challenger. Just double teamed. By The heel and his manager. In front of the referee. And the referee's just stood there. Waving his arms in the air. Saying what's going on here. Right from the start of this match. You completely removed. Any notion of storytelling. Because you told me. That nothing means anything now in this match. That the referee has no control. That it's all, no holds barred. That anything goes. That there's no rules. There's no structure. Then the bell rings. And there was some really good work. RKJ was dodging out the way. He was toe-paced to Gideon Grey when you didn't expect it. But this story was supposed to be about the comeuppance. And Gideon Grey was all over this. And there were so many little moments that just didn't have any thought in it. Like Ricky Knight Jr. just got a table out and set it up. And I know he took an amazing bump through the table. It looked absolutely horrendous, the bump he took through that table. But what was the point? I felt nothing because you completely removed any emotion from the story with your stupid shenanigans. Like we've said before about, for some reason, they've got to just... Decide to go through the heel book, you know, heel playbook one on one, and we had to go through all those in this match. The bit that made me flip my lid, Gideon Gray was interfering all the way through this, ruining this match, to be honest with you. I'm sorry, Gideon, I think you're brilliant, but you ruined this match. And Ricky Knight Jr. is about to win. You get one. Two, Gideon Grey pulls the referee out, which I hate anyway, which I think is rubbish to begin with. And what does the referee do? He kicks Gideon Grey out. He sends him backstage. Why didn't you do that in the first 30 seconds? If that was available to you, and if that was an option... Why didn't you do that in the first thirty seconds? We were robbed of a great match here because Great Okans brilliant, and Ricky Knight Junior is brilliant. We just had to get Andy, and he's old. Do you know that gift when people are flicking money out their hands? Imagine that, but we booking, and Andy's just got to sit there and book, 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 book the living daylight. Just don't let wrestlers wrestle. Honest to God. And then Rampage Brown came in. NXT UK's own Rampage Brown. And we had another run in. And I like Rampage Brown. I always have. I always, I've always liked Rampage Brown. Despite the fact he went to NXT UK, which obviously we're not going to forgive him for straight away, but he's somewhat good to have back on the roster. Oh my word, another running I just I, I just don't know if I can What are they doing with Ricky Knight Junior at all? Compare what they've done with Ricky Knight Jr. to what they've done with Maloney. Which one's more exciting? Which one's more real? Which one's more interesting? Just, it sucked. Absolutely sucked. This match was a dud. I'm giving it a dud, and I never give duds. Like, if you get in the ring and you do a couple of good headlocks, I'll give you a star. This is a dud, because it was insulting. A lot of crap. Anyway, we have the rumble next. And it's hard to talk about rumbles, is it? I've never reviewed a rumble match either in written form or on a podcast. One thing I noticed about this that I thought was really funny is that they use the WWE buzzer sound. <laughs> like I, I just I don't know if i have done that. I know you're using a WWE gimmick. You know you're doing a royal rumble. You know this isn't a, a battle royal. You're doing a royal rumble, and it is very WWE that match. And I. I I've been sort of convincing myself over the past few weeks to be excited for this, you know, and to, and to get into it because I like the way it's been built, but rumbles are funny. I think rumbles to me are background viewing. They're a lot like pizza, that it's hard to have a bad one because there's the inherent excitement of the entrances and things are going to change constantly. But this was this was very, very long. Very, very long. I mean, the time's not on cage. Oh, it is on cage match. It was 88 minutes. How long is a WWE Royal Rumble? Let's have a look at the last few on cage match. Because it felt longer than a WWE Rumble to me. It felt like it really, really dragged on. Um, let's have a look. So, this all the Royal Rumbles? Oh, it doesn't say straight away so let's have a look at the last one, the last one was, I don't say when you click on it, you have to look at the card, on a minute. sorry, a cage matching live on air again, uh, 71 minutes, Uh, 60, yeah, they're about an hour out in the Royal Rumbles, maybe a bit more, so yeah, this one was closer to an hour and a half, and it felt like an hour and a half, it really did, um, I like the fact they started with Slater and Kai. Um, I think those two are fantastic wrestlers. They had a match at live at London, so we'll talk about more we'll talk more about them in a second. But Slater's kick, he's got that down to a T, he does this sort of running karate kick thing, like where the knee hits the head and it looks fantastic. And a lot of that is obviously down to Cameron Kai's selling. I can't believe Cameron Kai's like 19. You know, he's young. He's properly young and he wrestles better than half of the people on the scene. He, he wrestles with intelligence and the fact that the two of them are both young and hungry and they, they wrestle to that, I think it's great. Um, Giddy Gray was good in this. Uh, you know, we had a really good spot with Slater and Kai. There was lots of really good spots with him where he was <laughs> he was like kicking people out. Uh, he was like throwing people overboard. Uh, overboard. <laughs> he was throwing people over the top row, but they were hanging on but he thought he was just eliminating loads of people in a row, and there was lots of little comedy spots there that I thought was really good um Trent Seven came out and the crowd went absolutely mental and I have no idea why, to watch him flip his tile around and have a boring match Who gives him monkeys, he was he was dominant, and his work was functional I guess, but you know, whatever um there was a Slater kid interaction in this. It was great. Um, Akira and JJ Gale was great, and Gale eliminated Akira as well. So Akira had a bad, um, he had a bit of a bad time of it, I suppose. But I thought he was he was great with this. He, he was he was he was uh, JJ Gale, I should say. I I, I think he, we're really getting onto some big things with him that I thought was really interesting. Um, Eddie Dennis came out. And do you remember they did this Eddie Dennis thing about how um, if he loses this, he's going to retire from wrestling? Oh, yeah. It's like, that. that's a thing, isn't it? And he came out and I'm like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, oh, as well, J.J. Gale eliminated Zack Sabre Jr., which I thought was great. And I think the be- I thought Jordan breaks was in this, and he was fantastic. He was absolutely brilliant. And I, I, Jordan breaks is a guy we've been following a lot in Purpose Wrestling. Red Pro was starting to book him um and he's not quite there jordan breaks he's still very much a prospect um there's like some character stuff that needs work and that sort of thing but he's got something and they had this lovely moment with him and Zack saber jr where Zack saber was giving him advice on how to lock in a hole better and then he grabbed someone else and, and, and showed him how to do it like live right in front of him and then they wrestled each other a little bit as well And i thought that was really good um And the fact that Zack Sabre Jr. was eliminated by J.J. Gale as well, further as to my point before. There was a really weird thing in this with Sunshine Machine. And I don't know what they're doing with Sunshine Machine at the minute. So basically, T.K. Cooper was eliminated. Uh, And he was sort of being eliminated as Chuck Mambo's music came on. But then Chuck Mambo didn't quite get to the ring on time to save him. So then the Greedy Souls eliminated Chuck Mambo as well. I don't really know what they're doing with Sunshine Machine at the minute. It feels like they're always there and they're always in prominent spots. But we're always writing them off for a while. And I've been a big advocate on this show of writing Sunshine Machine off for a while. I think that they're great, obviously. Like, I'm not slagging them off. I think they're fantastic. But I think we do need something a little bit more fresh at the minute. Something a little bit more interesting. Oku came out and he was injured. And the commentary kept saying, oh, he's injured. Oh, he's going to struggle. He's not going to get through this. And straight away I thought, well, Oku's winning, isn't he? He just flagged it for me. You know, just just showed it up. Um... There was some really good stuff between Oku and Mills, to be fair. You know, they got that great rivalry. But then the ending of this was so weird. Because Eddie Dennis trained Oku and Connor Mills. And there was a bit where Connor Mills could have eliminated Eddie Dennis. Oh, sorry. Oku was going to eliminate Eddie Dennis. And he didn't know whether he should do it or not. Because he'd be eliminating his trainer. Someone he's got a lot of affection for. And Connor Mills had the same opportunity earlier on and he chose not to take it. And there was this weird reality to Connor Mills that he isn't just this cookie-cutter heel. But then when Oku had his crisis of conscience, Mills just eliminated Eddie Dennis. And again, it feels like that classic Red Pro booking of doing something on the surface of it seems like a great idea but as soon as you start to pick out and as soon as you start to think about it it just falls apart and crumbles and then we had to put up with oku's shocked face like he was doing his gcse drama production at the end It it was just so weird I just—I I thought it was such a weird ending and I think by this point, we're like 70 minutes in we've still got 5 or 6 people left and I'm thinking, can we just end this bloody rumble there was no energy to huge chunks of this, especially towards the end, no energy at all um, and I, I felt a lot of those 88 minutes, I felt a lot of them um, paired with the nonsensical booking, Oku wins I don't really know why. Like, do we really need Oku to win the Rumble? You know, you can put Red Pro, you can put Oku in anything. You can let him do anything with anyone, and we'll get into it. But just the idea of him being back at the top again, and, and, you know, wouldn't it have been better for Luke Jacobs to have won it? Do you know what I mean? Would not it have been, maybe even let JJ Gale win it? That might be a push too far, too soon. But why Oku win there? I don't know. Anyway, it's a shame, really, that the, the back end of the card did deliver because the first end of the card was really good. Um, but we've got to check the fallout. So let's see what happened just afterwards at Live in London 72. So, we're back in that London, and I've realised my excitement for Red Pro that I had maybe a month or two ago has started to wane a little bit, and I wonder if a lot of that is down to them not having Will Ospreay around you know, wrestling. You know, you think the reason why that run of shows on that tour was so amazing is because Ospreay was having four star plus main events every night with the Sundry, and having an absolutely amazing match with Luke Jacobs, which a lot of people are giving five stars to, and I gave four and three quarters to. But they do a lot of shows, right? So, live at London 72, we opened with a Purpose Wrestling offer match. We had David Francisco against Jordan Breaks. And I, do you know what I liked about this? I liked Jordan Breaks' entrance. He entered like a real person. He entered sort of smiling, giving the thumbs up, a little bit awkward. And that's what I really like about Breaks. I think that's what makes him unique. Is you think about the promos he does with purpose when he's backstage and he's sat with the belt and he's got he's sat there very genuinely and very honestly saying, "I can't believe I won this, but I'm so chuffed that I have. I've worked really hard for it, and I'm going to do my absolute best to keep hold of it." And a lot of people couldn't pull that off. With a lot of people, it had come across as really bland and rubbish and, and, and useless and a bit pathetic. But Jordan Brakes can do it, and he was he was great here. Um Smash was really good, you know. Francisco really bought he was re- he really brought out kind of the big bombs and the brutality, and that paired really well uh, with Jordan Brakes' um technical um prowess, which I, I really enjoyed. Um Brakes got some great submissions. I do think Brakes now needs a little something. You know, and I, I don't know what that is, whether it's to be a little bit more innovative in the ring, maybe a little bit more brutality, a little bit more snap, I, I don't know um, I think he's at the point now where we're having to say, right, okay what are we going to do next um, now he's being bought by a red pro um, I mean, he's, and I believe he'll do it as well, I, I really do then we had Legion against Sunshine Machine um, someone in the crowd talking about security someone in the shout, uh, crowd shouted at Gideon Grey you're worse than York Hall security which I thought was an amazing line this was probably as good as you'd expect. I think Lucian Phillips has really improved lately. He was somebody who, uh, he was kind of the, he, he was never really supposed to be absolutely amazing, but I think he's got good. And he was great here with Sunshine Machine, who were always great, really. There's just that question back over them, isn't there? Like we were saying before with the run, it's what are we doing with Sunshine Machine? You know, where are we, are we going with them? Um, I'm, I'm just not quite sure at the minute. Uh, they lost this, again. You know, they lost the match, so I, I, I don't really know what we're doing with them. Um, are they just an undercard tag team now? But well, they're too good just to be an undercard throwaway tag team. As much as I like the Lycos gym nowadays, they kind of feel like that. You know, they're a tag team that you can just put in an opener off the second or third match and lose, and they don't really lose anything from losing, but I think Sunshine Machine do. I just think it's I mean, I think probably part of the fact is are they progress tag team champions at the minute? And that that's why he's not going to push them, is he, With the be progress tag team champions, um, so then don't book them. You know, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Do you have to book them? I don't know. Do you know what? Maybe that's why they're not doing much with uh, with um, uh, Ricky and Junior as well, because isn't he a progress champion as well? Is he the Atlas champion? I think he is. Let's have a look. Can you see how far out the loop I am when it comes to that awful company progress? I don't even... They've not passed the champion test, have they? Is he the champion? Where does it say on cage match? He was, wasn't he? He definitely was. Um, Titles. He is. He's the Atlas champion. That'll be it. That's why he's not... uh, He's not then why are you putting him in prominent positions? He beat Big Damo in February and hasn't defended it since. Bet that match was awful. Anyway, um next up we had Zack Knight against Luke Jacobs. And I've talked before about being a little bit on the fence about Zack Knight these days, but I thought this was great. This was two lads battering each other, absolutely slapping each other silly. And it was bloody good. The confidence that Jacobs has now is palpable. And it's improved his wrestling so much. And Zach Knight's punches were brilliant. It's, the two big lads having a scrap. You know, it, I think this is the best match that Zach Knight has had in ages. I really, really liked him here. You know, I no matter what happens before and after, whether I like the booking, whether I like the story, whatever... If two big meaty lads are slapping each other, I'm into it. I'm really enjoying it. Um you know they were choking each other in this, literally trying to choke each other out. Um And Luke Jacobs did a great promo at the end as well. He did uh, he went well done Zach, give him a round of applause and then they gave him a round of applause, he went, Off you pop. And, you know, there was that, like, a really masculine, manly handshake at the end. You know, like, gripping each other's hands and squeezing and looking each other in the eye. You know, it was just like dub dub jock wrestling, as the flagship say. And this was a, a great example of it. And I, I, I think this was one of the best matches I've seen in the last couple of weeks. I, I thought it was really good. Um, next up, we had Cameron Kai against Leon Slater. And this, again, this might be the best match, actually. This was amazing. Again, the way they've positioned these two is that they're two hungry young wrestlers. And the whole story was, is that Leon Slater's the golden child at the minute, but Cameron Kai's one step behind him. And Leon Slater is angry about that and he's got a point to prove. And I got so into this. You know, it was great. And it, it, again, the speed was... These two could be the full package. And they're not the full package yet. Neither of them are. You know, Leon Slater's obviously a step ahead in terms of his ring craft because he's doing it a bit longer and he's a bit older and that sort of thing. No doubt that Cameron and will get there as well. There's an element in the matches like this of, of them just doing stuff towards the end. You know, kind of selling goes out the window and story goes out the window a little bit because they're doing their moves. And I'm not necessarily against that at this stage because um, the moves are awesome. You know, I'm not going to complain too much about that. But they're definitely approaching the point where we need a little bit more from them, perhaps. But in the meantime, this was exciting. I didn't care that certain parts of this were sloppy because they both just had a fantastic energy. You know, just a story of, as Andy said on commentary, professional jealousy. They're each a bit jealous of each other. And uh, yeah, great. Really, really good stuff. Next up, we had Dan Maloney, the United Empire's own Dan Maloney, against Daz Black. And Daz Black is another ICW guy like Leighton Buzzard, which is really interesting that Andy's booking ICW guys because they're fresh, aren't they? Because nobody watches ICW. It might as well not exist at this point. So booking their guys, I think is is a great idea. And I really like Daz Black. I I don't think I'd ever seen him before, but he's got a great look. You know, he's a very handsome man, very long flowing hair, comes out, but his toe pays, his flips, and the way they told the story was was great. You know, Maloney was dominant for so much of this, but then Daz Black was able to come back at the end with an amazing hope spot. Um, I really want to see more. I hope Daz Black... Um, i tell you what he did in this. I hope he gets booked more, I was going to say then, to finish that thought. But I got distracted by a memory of the way he dodged a spear. He, he just did a standing backflip in the air as Maloney dived through him for the spear. And I thought it looked fantastic. It looked great. It's one of those moves that you can't really describe adequately. You have to see it. It, 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 was, it was brilliant. Um... And actually in the end, As Black got pretty close, which was interesting. Um I'd watch him again. I thought it was really, really good. Then the main event was Sha Samuels against Ricky Knight Jr. Nah, no. No thanks. <laughs> That's the point of that with that. No thank you. And actually, to give him the credit, the match was alright. You know, the um, there was enough here that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the speed. I there was bits of brutality. But it's just got that mentality now, hasn't it, with Ricky Knight, Judy? Where I just I'm, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, what are we doing? Like, am I sort of wasting my time on this? Are we actually going to do anything special, or are we just going to spin our wheels? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, Sha, to be fair to Shah, since he's come back from NXT UK, he's a lot better now. He was always good. He's always a good worker. But, you know, like his frog splash and stuff like that, you know, he, he looked really good in this match. The problem is, I just didn't care about it. I think with what happened with Ricky Knight Jr. and Sha Samuels, he's Sha Samuels, isn't he? He's good to have on the roster, but I don't know, like I say, if he's someone I'm going to get particularly excited about. So we're back, I suppose, in a way, to the same old feeling of Red Pro is that, that you know they're going to have great matches, but for some reason, you just don't get particularly excited about them but actually looking back on it I would recommend on this show uh, Maloney Daz Black, Cameron Kai Leon Slater, Zack Knight Luke Jacobs and then if you've got time, Francisco Breaks was really good too and Legion versus Sunshine Machine was okay, so actually this was a really good show, Um, it's just that funny thing about the old Red Pro thing, they could put on really good shows but not always be that exciting, anyway that's us up to date with Red Pro, let's wrap things up All right that's it for another fortnight. Thank you for joining us. Um don't forget get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express channel especially if you're going to uh, AEW in London. Let me know and hopefully we can we can see each other down there. It'd be great to see some people. I'm now off for a cheese board. Uh I've got some lovely uh, aged cheddar. I'm still keeping it simple. I know I said that last time. I'm I'm, I'm moving away from all the fancy stuff. I've just got some Age cheddar and some brie I'm, I'm keeping I'm, I'm keeping it real at the minute with the cheese as the kids would say so have a great couple of weeks and I'll see you next time thanks for listening Go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.